You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here. Welcome to Drinks with Tony. This week on the show, we have Maggie Rowe. She's the author of Easy Street, a story of redemption from myself. And this is her second time on the show. Her first time, we talked about her book, Sin Bravely. Uh, since we both kind of grew up in kooky religions that messed with her brains and turned us into big time writers, it was a connection. Um, I was at the library today, the Los Feliz branch library in, San, in, in Los Angeles, where the librarians all know my name. So, and I'm seriously, I'm like Norm from Cheers when I walk in, uh, but they all go, Tony. And then one of the librarians asks, Tony, what holds are you picking up? And I probably reply with something stupid like, how to succeed at dating trashy older women. And then a theme song plays and everyone giggles. Why did I bring that up? Oh, because the librarian was checking out my books today and he said, how are you? And I said, I'm really busy this week. And he said, it's good to be busy. And I said, yes, because it helps me forget that I'll die someday. Fortunately, he laughed. And that was just really my immediate thought to what he said. And as you probably heard, I like to say my immediate thoughts like out loud. And sometimes it doesn't get me into too much trouble. But I was walking, I was walking out to my car, with my load of books, my new holds. And the excitement never goes away for me when I have new holds from the library. It's been decades and it still excites me to no end. But I thought, wow, that was actually really a dark thing to say to him. And I felt kind of sad for saying it. And then I felt sad for thinking it. Then I felt sad because it's kind of true to all of us. Then I remembered, well, it's not that I remembered this, but I teach screenwriting and novel writing classes. And my first lecture, usually for the novel students, um, I asked them, why do you write? And there are varied answers and some are noble and seeking virtue. Uh, those are kind of the worst. I'm writing because I want to, you know, uh, and then insert preachy topic there. And it's just like, and all right, cool. But some say I write because I don't want to lose my mind. And those are the students that tend to be my better students when they say something like that. But for years I've said, I write because I'm going to die. And I have a limited time to write. And what's cool about that is every writer is in the same boat. And it kind of gets dark a little bit, but it's also kind of light at the same time. Then I read this book by Will Storr, and it's called The Science of Storytelling. And I'm actually, I'll actually read a little bit to you. Um, you'll see the connection. Here's his first page. We know how this ends. You're going to die. And so will everyone you love. So, so essentially I'm like the immediately I was brought into this. Cause I'm like, this is what I say. Um, and then there will be heat death. All the change in the universe will cease. The stars will die and there'll be nothing of anything, but infinite dead freezing void. Human life and all of its noise and hubris will be rendered meaningless for eternity. But that's not how we live our lives. Humans might be in the unique position of, of knowledge that our existence is essentially meaningless, but we carry on as if ignorant in the ignorance of it. We beetle away happily into our minutes, hours, and days with the fact of the void hovering over us to look directly into it and to respond with an entirely rational descent into despair is to be diagnosed with a mental health condition categorized as somehow faulty. The cure for the whore is story. Our brains distract us from this terrible truth by filling our lives with hopeful goals and encouraging us to strive for them. And, it, and we want the struggle. And when the struggle is the story of it all, And that's why, that's it. Stories, everything. Crafting stories on the page is divine. When other readers read it, when we read other people's stories, it's, it's how we really connect viscerally. And that's why I'm not only an author, 
I host a podcast talking to authors about authoring. Hi, I'm Maggie Rowe, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Maggie Rowe. She's the author of Easy Street, a story of redemption from myself. Maggie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I Your memoir is so, how do you say, honest and well-crafted. And that's my favorite thing about memoirs. Oh, thank you. I, I did feel like, I do feel like I kind of laid it all out there. <laughs> I was like, you, that, I'm not a nice lady. <laughs> well, no, I don't agree with that. Oh, well. Um, well, I think well, you bring up a good point. I don't think any of us are totally nice and virtuous as we portray ourselves. Yes. Even and, to ourselves. I yeah. think that's the tricky part. Like we all know we kind of put on a mask for other people, but I think the kind of question is how much are we putting it on in front of ourselves? Right. And how do we view <laughs> ourselves? Exactly. And if we strip that mask back too much, we'll be like, why are we alive? We're disgusting humans. And then, then we got to figure out that part. Okay, how do I deal with realizing I'm a disgusting human? Or expecting, you know, I've been thinking about this recently, or expecting less of what a human being is and then being really stoked when there's, there's some empathy. How about that? Interesting. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to be good. We got so many conditioning. We've got so many neuroses. We have so many hangups and weirdnesses and shynesses and insecurities like the fact that we're ever generous i think should kind of be like good for us <laughs> but there's that and then there's and but I, but I don't know if you also feel this way where of course we do good things isn't there, there isn't there a little bit of us that is just like we we kind of want to do all good but then are, are we doing yes. it for show for ourselves or is that's the big question i think that's the that's the tricky wicket that's trying to figure out which is doing it for my, I'll just speak for myself, for my own self-image maintenance and yeah. which is genuine generosity and empathy. And I think if you go the generosity empathy route, you will never get burnt because it's good for yourself. But if you go for the route of, I'm doing this to feel good about, it's just an endless hamster wheel. But I heard this term recently that I liked, near enemies, and it's where things are very, very different, They're kind of, but they seem close. So like generosity to actually be kind feels, looks, or and even feels very similar to, I'm gonna keep establishing myself as a good person because without that little front, I'm not gonna be able to tolerate myself. Like they're near enemies. Huh. That's the way I, I, I like, like that. Yeah. See, um, so I'll tell you about what I've been doing in therapy. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> this kind of this kind of comes around to like just a little experience I had today. But you know, you know, but we both we both grew up in like weird religious situations. Yes, yes. one so, of our ties. Yes. So you have a great book as well. Tony, yeah. your book. <laughs> <laughs> the um the uh what do you call it? So it, it, a lot of like my anxiety, like my in acute anxiety, I'm learning in therapy again, as I'm in therapy is, you know, you know, COVID hits and all of a sudden, well, the whole world's anxious and they're on a yeah. level of anxious that I used to be anxious at. So that brings me to a triple anxiety. Right. Yeah. And um, as, so anyway, one of the things was not feeling safe, not feeling that people are safe. And a lot of that comes yeah. from growing up in a cult where everyone who's not in, with you is unsafe and not agree more yeah so I was driving my car because I was going up to get coffee and I and I wasn't feeling good about going to get coffee I was just like okay I'm a little on edge and I saw this old man I know his name's George he lives in my building he's in his 90s he has he helps at the corner store he kind of does nothing but they just let him sit there and do nothing and sleep the floor sometimes and he's walking across the street and I'm like yo George what's up and then uh he goes wait, Tony. And I'm like, yeah. So then he comes. So at my, at the stop sign, I'm so glad no one was behind me. I mean, he comes up to my window and he starts talking to me for a while. And, and I'm like, yeah, what's up? And he was telling me about, um, about how, you know, how hard it is to walk in the streets of LA and he has to be really careful. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And people are like, 
not behind me, but they're seeing me talk to this old man and they're probably going, what a good guy that is to talk to uh-huh. the old man. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm actually enjoying connecting with this person because it makes me feel safe in the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so that's a tricky one because, right, that's not your self-image. That's like self-preservation by connection. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, that I think is a worthy goal. (laughs) You know, it's what I get caught up in, which is the just evaluation of myself throughout the day. (laughs) Uh, You know, just the constant thing. How am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing on this scale? How am I, not, how am I doing compared to this person? How am I doing? Right. And that's and that, I love that you bring up envy in your book. I mean, and, and envy's hard. And I do it too. I'm like, why does that person have three books out? I only have one book out and one film out. And it pisses me off to no end. And then there's people who are like, Tony, I'm not even published. And I've been shopping this book around. And, and I'm like, right. oh, yeah, that's right. So there's like, there's like this weird hierarchy. But I love everyone at every level. But I'm also judging myself beyond belief and disgusted with myself and looking above instead of behind. <laughs> yes, yes. I saw the Dalai Lama speak once years ago. And he was saying when he goes to a rich city or uh, a city that has affluent neighborhoods, instead of driving around to see the pretty houses, he says, take me to the worst neighborhood. <laughs> But uh, it's the idea if you're always, you know, people come here and like, let's look at the Hollywood map to the stars. And of course you end up going home feeling worse about your life if you're looking at, I always thought it would be like a good, you know, (laughs) just mainly it's a joke, but it could be a good thing of like, go for a weekend and deprive yourself of all, uh, specifically of all of the things that, you enjoy like a vacation deprivation and then when you come back you're like oh how great is this I was sleeping on this shitty bed and I didn't have this and I made myself not bring my dog you know if you just took away like that's what you really want from a vacation is to come back and feel like huh I got it pretty good and instead it's like this sucks. <laughs> so, so what is your vacation depth? What did you you said? Yeah, it? I like I had a name for what is what is yeah you just said it and I totally Depriva- forgot deprivation vacation. Dep- what is your deprivation vacation destination? Oh, uh, mine would be somewhere with uh, somewhere with no outside, uh, so no windows, um. And are, we, are we talking Siberia? No windows. Yes, definitely. Yeah, cold. No windows. Like really and, hard to get to too. Like it's three flights, and then it's a really slow yes, train and ice. <laughs> and then, and then this is what I would have to do. I would have to do emails that involve networking from the moment I woke up to the moment. For <laughs> <laughs> yes. But they, but they wouldn't be emails. You would have like one of those, remember those old flip phones where you had to, where when you did, where you couldn't put in a letter, you had to sit there and like, yes, on five, if you wanted to put in a J, you had to type, you had to push five, three times. And those are the networking letter emails that you have to turn back. Look at this magical miracle (laughs) I have. Oh, oh, I'm on easy street. (laughs) Right, right. They'd be like, you need to talk to Colbert now and you can only do it via text. And all you have is all you have is that flip phone and it's taking you like 10 minutes to write a sentence. And they're like, we need this now. We need this now. We're in production. We're trying to decide if you're on the show. (laughs) And we're sure that he's even having the conversation as a favor to somebody. Right, right, right. exactly. (laughs) You you need to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every every like your publisher and your age, everyone's like, please do this for us. You know, and it's a friend of a friend. friend (laughs) We've got you this moment. As, as you're in Siberia and you're like one piece of coal that's just barely heating up your room enough so you want a frostbite. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it does. And it does have to do with like realizing when you are on easy street, when you do have it good. Because yeah. gratitude is hard to come by. It's 
easy to say be grateful. I mean, I do it to myself constantly. Yeah. It never really makes you be great, you know? I, I feel like focusing, paying attention to good things, like produce gratitude rather than some right. scold. Anyway, you know that from the Christian thing of like be oh, grateful. And that's why I do a resentful list every morning. <laughs> I resent blank. I resent blank. No, I don't. <laughs> probably would be helpful to get it out. You know, probably. <laughs> Turns out, ironically, that'd be a good article if there was a study. Turns out a resentful list in the morning offers more of a change of mind. It, well, I, you know, I, I mean, I, 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 I just say the resentful list, but I do write every morning to get like, the demons out of my head yeah. and a lot of it is just things that disgust me to no end yeah and, and then it's on the page and then i can kind of then it kind of goes away but maybe that is sort of a resentful yeah list. i think i got yeah. something here yeah i think you do i think that's an article waiting to happen yeah how, how to be resentful and lose friends <laughs> and gain friends how to be resentful <laughs> And gain friends. <laughs> That'll hook them. Yeah, yeah. Everyone wants to hang on to their grudges. <laughs> right, right. Or, or, mon or money, too. How to be resentful, lose money, and uh, gain and gain poorer friends. <laughs> yeah. It's but it's interesting because as we, you know, as we were just talking about like flip phone in Siberia, a lot of what we do that are that we're envious of or that we're striving to is just kind of like what we have as humanity at this moment in 2022 like oh, maybe really? 15 years from now everyone's going to have cars that drive them and yeah. we're going to and we're going to and if we are the last one that has a car that we have to steer we're going to be resentful of yeah. that where there's no resent resentfulness of that yet it's almost yes, like right. the constant status quo of what human oh, what are, what are humans have so if they all have iphones and they're going bah, 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 and we're on a flip phone it there's it's just like oh my god but 15 years ago that would have been and i'm on a flip phone how are you yeah yeah it's true and i think that uh of all the deadly sins like envy is the one that people are most ashamed of it's the one that ha it has no sex appeal it's not anger it's not lust it's not pride. It's not gluttony. Even sloth has a little <laughs> like, what? I'm just lying here. Yeah. Envy. Ooh, that's nasty. That's mean. That's like, I feel like it's the one people will least admit to. And yes. And like what, you know, and sometimes when people leave religions or leave cults, they go straight into, uh, okay, I'm going to have sex with everyone. I'm going to go yeah, try drugs. Yeah, yeah. And then like, it would be so hilarious that one person just came out and goes, no, I'm going for envy. I'm going straight <laughs> into envy. envy. No, 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 no. I'm going to look at my yeah. neighbor's wife and go, yeah. ah, and yeah, like yeah. some of that. <laughs> People are coming up and going, would you like to have sex? We can have sex now. Nope. I want envy. I want Let's just, just dive into it. Straight shooter envy. <laughs> just going to seethe in the corner of a bar somewhere. <laughs> and not have drinks, have milk. Not have drinks. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I, I'd like a glass of milk, and I'm gonna sit here. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit here and curdle. <laughs> but ice in that milk, I want it to be watered down. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, the envy one. But I feel like if people talked about it more often, it would be like, and then you wouldn't have to do the like. The um, side skirts, like the humble brag. It's like, I, you don't need to do the humble, you know, the humble brag concept. I yeah. will, I do, but I'm trying to think of an example. What what would be a good humble brag that we can do? Um, oh, like, oh, oh, I, um, oh, I was so humbled. Madonna heard my song and she said it was the best song she had ever heard. Ah, that, that's a humble brag and name that's drop at the same brag. Yeah, humble brag and name. Yeah. Or, uh, no big deal, this happened. You know, like all of those, like, if you're going to brag, just brag about it. If you're going to be, in, you know, or, or if instead of going, oh, I hate that stupid show. Yeah. yeah you're envious. Just say, yeah. 
Say, say it, the truth. Say the truth. And isn't it interesting what we hate is actually really part of us more than what we are indifferent about? Yes. Yes. That's Blows true. That's... <laughs> and more things that blow our minds. <laughs> yes, and more things that blow our minds. <laughs> and and uh, just and speaking of your your book uh i was just so um the the, the relationship you have i oh my god and i is do you call her jessica in the book joanna joanna i knew it was a j yes 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 <laughs> this relationship is so intriguing and your reactions to it is it's the that's why it's just it it's you're hitting you're hitting envy and you're hitting the human condition you're you're hitting everything and just with absolute absolute dead honesty on it on every level which is just which is which is hilarious because you do kind of paint yourself as you know especially in the beginning as someone that's not so nice but i know you as a lovely person so when i'm reading <laughs> it i'm like oh my god maggie's just being honest she's so sweet <laughs> The thing I think is interesting about Diana and I's relationship, uh, Joanna, uh, um, is uh, that uh, it's not, we don't have a sweet relationship. It's, I mean, there are elements of sweetness to it. Like we talked about it in the book, but uh, Joanna and I um, snap together um, when we drive in the car. Uh, Yeah. Joanna for people who haven't read the book, is a neurodiverse woman that I became the legal representative of uh, at a certain point. Uh, but there's sweetness, but because she's so very envious of my life and because she's so in love with my husband and because she so fantasizes about me just shooting out and her replacing my life, it leads to... <laughs> It leads to, to an antagonistic uh, situation in some in, 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 in some sense. So it's kind of managing this, and then her outright honesty with me about all of my insecurities. Um, you know, I had I did a book before Sin Bravely that it was just a collection of essays, and I edited it. And Joanna um, <laughs> said to me at one point, um, uh, "I hope." Uh, I hope Sin Bravely does better than that other book. I I, I overheard uh, <laughs> Jim was talking that, that the other book didn't do very well. <laughs> yeah. but it's like the way sisters would needle each other, you know, because oh of, yeah, uh, it's some inherent competition, right? And then you know, from my end, I don't have any initial competition. But as soon as somebody starts going at you, you're like, yeah, well, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> uh yeah so it can kind of draw you into that too it, and i mean <laughs> i was thinking about some of my ex-girlfriends and if there was a situation like that where anyone was showing me attention yeah oh and it, oh um what's the definition of neurodiverse because it's not quite autism it's something else right right i've learned that that's the correct not the correct that the uh, i don't know the preferred term uh that neurodiverse is a wider range even than the autism scale that says Mm -hmm. we can't say exactly that this is autism but the neurology is different than the average different than the norm oh okay so is someone that's neurodiverse does do they need they don't need constant self-care like some people who are depends on i mean um help yeah whatever they what they call it depends on depends on the scale in Joanna's case, she's really grown an enormous, like even since, since I wrote the end of Easy Street, she stayed at a place, it was a, a woman's shelter facility for a year and a half, and they taught her different skills, you know, just basic, here's how you clean, here's how you turn on a stove, here's how you make a shopping list, here's how you prepare, you know, just Think, things you're really basic. So uh, yeah, showering. Um, uh, she bathes absolutely regularly now or showers, you know? So like that's right. very different. 
Um, it's high functioning almost. It's a, it's yeah. a very high functioning. She's gotten a lot more high functioning. Mm-hmm. You know, she, it's not the worst life, you know, uh, basically. And she gets to beat you up too. So that's Yeah, cool. she gets to beat you to get a little jabs <laughs> in here. <laughs> well, no, it's very disciplined. And I, th- I think she did learn it from her mother, but you do not stay in bed during the day. You do not stay in the house during the day. You get up and you go out in the world and then you come back at night and then you watch TV or, you you know, Mm -hmm. but like, it's rather disciplined. So she doesn't have a job to do, but she gets up and she goes to her different spots around Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. So she goes to the Grove and she goes to Larchmont or like Christmas. She would go to see all the different Christmas decorations at the different places. She's uh, now the bus is free uh, through a certain program. So she just gets on the bus and, and just kind of sees the world mm-hmm. and then comes back, watches TV and um, does her daily maintenance. She has a calendar, mm. she has a cat calendar now that she keeps track of, you know, when television shows are on or when movies are playing. And anyway. I, I, as you've been describing this, I'm like, I think I'm neurodiverse. Maybe I'm just really high functioning neurodiverse. Oh, <laughs> no. And it's just, but it just yeah, kind yeah. of feels that way where it's just like, oh yeah, I do have to push myself to do these exact same things too. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know. I, I am like really, or like, it was interesting to me, uh, autism and, and how it might relate to COVID is, um, Joanna felt for the first time, I think, really a part of society. She felt really a part of the community of people. Everyone was going through the same thing. Everyone was looking to see what the numbers were. Everyone had to wear masks or not have to wear masks. Everyone could be seated outside. Like, and so she knew it wasn't like other people had these problems and she had these weird little problems, you know? Yeah. And she would tell us all the stats, me and Jimmy, you know, mm. here's what's going on. She and should be doing a podcast every day on what are the new stats, where we're at. <laughs> that would be so great. Yeah. Was, and the, sometimes the language she uses, I really enjoy. She was like, um, she was like, the governor just said that we can dine al fresco. So I'm going to dine al fresco at Papa John's. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just love this idea of, Papa John's alfresco dining. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the um, the <clears throat> how how you enter this relationship with Joanna is just beyond hilarious because, of course, it's your husband who just like kind of pawns her off, <laughs> yes. her mom off on you, and yes. and you're way more gracious about it than I would have been. I just would have been. He ain't home. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> You like actually let them in. I, I would be like, I would be first off, I'd be so mad. You know, if I was married and had a wife and she did that to me, I'd be like, nah, not happening. That's your game. That's your people. Great to see you. Um, like, let me buy you dinner, but somewhere else and go over there. <laughs> so you well, actually have you have a lot of generosity by even letting them in the door to watch that Golden Girls marathon. That's true in one way. You know, I had met them before. So that, oh. had, you know, I had met them at Kukuru. So I had, no, and then I did get, I did make Jimmy feel, I made my husband feel bad. I'm, I, there was, you know, there was plausible deniability. I seemed like I was accepting it, but I let him know I was just pleased. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. It's one of those little strategies in a marriage. Not yeah. proud of it but admitting to it. <laughs> right. And then, and then there's also the, uh, I mean, especially in keeping a marriage together because I'm divorced. I know how to tear a marriage apart. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, I'm not in like a big yeah, way, but, yeah, yeah. but, um, but it's, it's also like you did this to me. So we gotta, we have to balance this. It's almost oh, like even yeah. when you're, a, even when you're a kid in kindergarten, and you're like, yes. wait a second, you took the truck yesterday. I yes. get to play with a Tonka truck today. Absolutely. So it never ends. Never Absolutely. Ends. It's so ingrained. Yes. Her piece of cake is big as mine. I want that one. The one with the frosting. The one with the rose. I want the one with the rose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
that constant competition. Yeah, that's true. What was it like? What was it like really getting to this place of honesty? I mean, did you, did you start just writing at this scale of honesty or were, did it kind of your, did you like, did you set out to be this self aware or did the self-awareness kind of come out as you were writing and you went, wait a second, I got to hit this harder. I got to hit this harder. I like that question. I started off, here's how it changed. This is, this is kind of interesting for me to realize. I started off with the idea of I'm going to be honest about the fact that I'm concerned about my image in front of other people. Um, And what it really, what I kind of realized as I was writing it that I felt like was the kind of next layer deeper is, yeah, but on a deeper level, what I'm really concerned with is my image in front of myself. That's the one that's deeper and it's a little harder to dig out. It's, it's, it's one layer more complicated, but I think it's the really, the big one, like, like all, you know, the different charity things or even just kindness to friends. I really do try to think, okay, am I doing this? Cause I'm going to get resentful if I'm doing it just to feel good about myself or if they don't give me gratitude, that's not going to work out well if I'm doing this for feel good about myself. So I do try to figure out which is which. And I think that's the valuable part of it. I did learn um, from doing this out loud though. I, I, that some of the envy stuff I think works better on paper because when you say out loud some really bad things about yourself or like, you know, it's just different. I had a different response than when I've done like spoken word stuff before. Like I I remember I was doing this piece about just all the shitty things I was thinking about people, you know, and my envy list. And I was up on stage and I was like, whoo, I've lost them. They're not on my side. I'm like, these people are gaining evidence to like me less. And, and I had this instinct to go, oh, no, 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 I'm not that bad. I'm just trying to be really, really honest. Like, I'm not. <laughs> but it made me realize it's not that much of a part of normal conversation. Um, talking about your little petty meannesses. You know, there are other things you'll make fun of yourself for, your bad judgments or falling for the same thing again and again, or, you know, a blind spot. But I don't think it's like a common dialogue of who's little shit I am. Um, <laughs> did you test some of this material like at sit and spin and stuff? I did. Oh, okay. I did. And I found the, <clears throat> that when I was talking about the, the Joanna material, talking about Joanna was great to do in front of an audience. Mm. It was like, this is fun. This is a story. This has something you can relate to in a, or at least something that you knowingly relate to. Like, I don't know if anybody goes, oh yeah, I'm totally envious, you know, in the way that they go, oh yeah, I've gotten stuck in a situation where I had to do more than I really wanted to. It's like the second one's more, I don't know. It's like something about reading it, I think might give people the time to go, oh, okay. She is making fun of herself. She's not just. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Because if you're doing it in front of an audience, there's a, it's, you have to, in order to keep them engaged with it. Yeah. It's, it kind of wow. Yeah. It's different that it's different on the page. Yeah. Huh. And one of the few, t- I always like doing things live, but this, the envy stuff is one of the few ones I was like, this one's for the page. This you lost the, the audience. You would lose yeah. the audience on it. Wow. Yeah, I felt like I did. Yeah, I felt like, and then I did it at a show that wasn't Sit and Spin. So it was like, Sit and Spin is the show I regularly do. Uh-huh. Um, I did it at another one where I didn't know anybody in the audience. And I felt like everyone was just like, oh. <laughs> it's interesting. That may be a great indicator of it was the right, you had the right story going though. Oh yeah. 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 If if everyone's kind of pulling, if a whole audience is pulling back, you're hitting a nerve that, you know, it's, I mean, it's worse to bomb when people are just bored, but if everyone's kind of pulling back, 
then there is an emotional reaction. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I'll tell I'll take that. Yeah, there was one line in particular that I remember, like, as it was coming up, it was like, do I skip it? Am I going to get my rhythm off? It's coming down the pike. Uh (laughs) It's the one where I say I'm envious of old women on their deathbeds with their loved ones around them saying, I have lived a blessed life, you know, and I really do. You know, it is like that is a thought that's occurred to me. I don't have kids, you know, that's not in that particular image going to be my deathbed. So, you know, uh, but I felt in the audience just this feeling of, yeah, you're alive. You're envying people that are on their deathbed younger than you. Now, like I'm putting words in an audience's mouth, but. As you should, because you should resent them. I should resent them, but I just kind of (laughs) felt like a. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but the, you, I, so I had uh, this, I had this uh, woman on the show, uh, Hilma Wolitzer, Maggie Wolitzer's uh, mom. Oh, um, uh-huh. And, and, sh- and her husband died during COVID and they're both in their nineties wow. and her, and we, and the reason I bring this up is because she, they were in a, they were married almost 70 years uh-huh. and they couldn't hold each other's hand when he died because he was oh. in the hospital and she was also in another hospital and he didn't make it through COVID and she did. Oh. And there is something huge about who is going to hold your hand when you die. Yeah. And, and th- there's something lovely about, you know, when you're married to the person and it's just like, and even when I first got married many years ago, it's just like, okay, there's almost like a, here's the person that's going to be holding my hand. One of us is going to yeah. die. And one of us is going to be holding the other hand. Yeah. And that's how this whole thing ends. Yeah. And then when people have kids there and, you know, and I don't have kids, but I was open to kids when I was younger. And now I'm like going, if I have a kid now, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to yeah, be, yeah, I'm yeah. going to be on my walker going, well, good graduation kid. <laughs> but, but, um, but, you know, it's just like, people who don't have kids, there's not going to be a bunch of kids around them um, or grandkids or none of the kids will show up because they all went and had drug issues and resent you to death and hate your guts. But but at least there's the hope that maybe one of those kids will show up. So possibility, right? Yeah. So it's something to think about who is going to be there when you're on your last breath. And maybe that's too scary for people to even bring up. But I thought it was so lovely to talk about it with Hilma because she didn't get to have the holding her husband's hand um, on his last breath experience. And um, uh, and just yeah. and it was just it was it, there was something just so romantic about that. My my heart was just yeah. eager, you know, yeah. I was just like, oh, my. And yeah, I just yeah, yeah. but she still felt. The, yeah, I'm putting words in her mouth that people can listen to the interview and realize that I totally botched it <laughs> all up. But, but, um, but it was still a love experience. She had that wonderful love experience for yes. so many years. And knowing that somebody, yes, was, was there. Yeah, all the things. I feel like envy and also like fear of death. Like what are the things that we push down and slough off into the corner that end up making a make us act out in different ways you know yeah if we just brought them to the surface we'd be like oh okay I'm scared of being alone when i die so i'm gonna make some plans right <laughs> you know, gonna make some connections here gonna be involved in this sort of group no guarantees but i'm gonna up my odds just like people that have kids up their odds right yeah. And then, and then once in a while, you're like, oh, crap, I have the wrong friends. I don't want any of these people near me when I die. <laughs> well, luckily, I'm part of a Zen center in Los Angeles. And those people think it's awesome to be around dying people. <laughs> oh, what, what Zen center? Uh, ZCLA. It's the Zen center of Los Angeles. It's uh-huh. uh, in Koreatown. On is North it ZCLA? I'm writing this down for myself because I was, yeah. I was also going to go to Brad Warner's um, meditations. I don't know if you know who that is. He does it in Echo Park, but I've been really trying to find like, because after Dharma punks went away, 
which I live right by the Dharma punks where they used to do the meditation. I kind of really dropped I off. I used to go there too. Yeah. The one in Silver Lake on Melrose. Yep. Yeah. I, I live right by it. It was great. Yes. Oh, I would have gone there all the time. Yeah. And yeah. so, okay, I'm looking, I'm going to look up ZLA. And, yeah, ZCLA. Uh, yeah, yeah. ZCLA? Mm-hmm. Okay. Center of Los Angeles. They, this program is sponsored by ZCLA. <laughs> <laughs> hey, ZCLA, give me a free month. <laughs> uh, I, and I let, well, and the, not, not, I don't want to gush too much on your book, but I'm going to gush even more on your book. Okay. How, you, how you go into what it's like to not have kids. It's a thing. It's, it's a thing thing and I did not it's like that you know I've heard that classic thing that you'll wake up one day and you'll be like why didn't I have kids but I was really late in the game for that wake up thing but when it hit it was so piercing it was so the the like kind of pining feeling that felt like when I was in love like it felt like unrequited love kind of fit like a and that feeling of like instead of when I was in college and I was like checking out every guy that walked by you know it was like there was like a year and a half where every girl under eight I was like I want her I want her (laughs) I mean in an adopting kind of way um but like all different you know the different ages and I and I just felt so pulled to it and whatever happened in my brain chemistry was like Um, and since then, my husband and I have talked a lot about fostering an older Mm -hmm. child, like a teenager, and we may still do it. Um, 17. So you only got a year with them in case they're Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just getting someone from my deathbed. Just like 17 and out. (laughs) One of you's got to hit. (laughs) Um, but I did find with Joanna or with my God kids or with it, that somehow, for me, not having kids, I have to make an effort to put my energy into something that's gonna draw me out of myself. Like it's gotta be a conscious effort because if you have a kid, it just does it for you. Kids gonna die unless you um, feed them, pull their hand out of the stove, you know, take them out of the bathtub, like all of the, so you're constant. But without that, if there's not an emergency or an urgency, like you have to make it for yourself is what I, is what I but like act because it's easy. I really don't like the thing that people say um, when they say I can never have kids. I'm too selfish, which I understand the sentiment, but it's like, Ugh, don't stay in that selfish part. That's not a good impulse there. Like go be, don't have kids because that's too much of a getting beyond yourself, but make sure you're not like, well, I'm just selfish. So I'm just going to focus on me. I feel like bad road. It's better to have just a raging cocaine habit. Yes. yes that's, <laughs> it's always satisfying and motivating. <laughs> it's a, No, but it's such a natural instinct. And I like that. It's like we, uh, when, when we are essentially without say whatever we're without with, even if it's kids, we kind of have to steer uh, how we navigate that thing in our brain. And if we don't yeah. steer it, then we kind of don't, we, we, we kind of continue to be incomplete, even more incomplete, you know? Yes. In a way. Yeah. Where, where it's, it's I, I've noticed that, people who you know like friends of mine who chose not to have kids they do things like foster they do things yeah. like there is a there is an outreach that they do and um and it just and it all just feels very natural and just as important you know yeah i really i really think so and you know we don't it's not like we need to procreate to keep humanity going you know so many other ways to contribute um and not uh, be yeah, yeah, but I, you know, I, I probably should have like 15 kids because I just, I really want my like neurotic personality to screw up the next generation. <laughs> too. You know, I, I just, there, there's envy and then there's just like, 
how do I screw it up for the next people? You know? <laughs> Make sure that influence is far flung. Yeah. It will be bad. Yeah, yeah. It will just... be wide. <laughs> <laughs> I just need a lot of twisted kids that got my that have my genes out there. So. <laughs> Uh, so I mean, and you're, and so when you're writing this book, how are you coping? Because there's got to be some days when it's hard to write, to hard to write some of this stuff. Some of the, and I, because I talk about my resurgence of a certain form of OCD that's sometimes mm-hmm. called pure O. It's the obsession or the intrusive thoughts without the corresponding physical compulsion. Um, and I will say it. It's, you know, in some ways it sounds like an innocent trouble. And when I would describe it to doctors, you know, be like, I'm repeating a word in my head. It's like, you know, on some level, not that doctors said this, but I said it to myself, oh, that's not that big a deal. But it would spike my anxiety so high because I felt like I was at war with myself. It felt like I was in this, it's like I was pummeling myself. So, and then writing it, you know, there's always the fear of like, who knows what triggers it with me, you know, different words get triggered, it lies in abeyance for some, and then it gets again. So, and there's just so little rhyme or reason that I can fathom that, um, you know, sometimes I would be writing something about a word and it would set that word off and I'd be um, going again in my head, you know, so it was fraught. It was fraught. I think it was ultimately helpful. Anytime, any psychological issue, I feel like you can get that little distance, that little gap of looking at it, it, not even instead of being in it, but in addition to being in it, it's helpful. And then, yeah, and then once, once crafting it, getting, on the, getting it on the page, then it's almost like there's another camera on it. Yes. Know? And then like the hope that it was useful. I feel like that's the, like, the greatest gift any like writer, artist or educator, or anyone that uses their like problems or suffering in their life to be somehow of benefit to somebody else really helps the whole thing go down easier. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, well, this was useful. Like, you know, my struggle with hell obsessions from when I was a kid that still come back up. Um, but, you know, I've like kept in touch with some people that I've met that struggle with those thoughts that are younger than me. And I feel like, huh, you know, that was, yeah. that was of use in some way, that experience. That's interesting. I go back and forth on that. Cause when people, uh, you know, especially like ex Jehovah's witnesses or they could, you know, they're just like, oh, you know, I read your, I read, or I read your book, or I saw your film, and thank you so much for telling my story. And then part of me is just like that. That was not for you. That was me crafting something for the world. That was me putting entertainment out there. In the end, I wanted people to read a book and I wanted people to watch a movie and be entertained. Yes, it's you know got a lot of me, and yes, I do dive into the you know tragedies of things and reshift, but there sometimes I'm like, no, that's not for you. You know, even, <laughs> even if they're helped by it, I don't know why I hit that where, no, where they're like, you wrote that for me. And I'm like, actually, no, <laughs> I wrote it for a wide audience. Glad yeah, you got right. it. And then there's other times where the, it's like the happiest thing in the world where someone goes, Oh my God, I just, I saw your film and you, and you told my story. And I, and then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, there was a thing. There was a reason that I had to suffer. Yeah, <laughs> but I yeah. do both, though. I I, I don't. Yeah, both. I, yeah, I don't always come in with happiness and gratitude if someone. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you go do the work. <laughs> you go write. You go write a damn book, man. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, but I but I found it really helpful to to feel like my particular. Anytime that my particular disorder doesn't seem so singular, um, I find it comforting. So anytime anyone's like, I I was scared of hell too. (gasps) You you said that prayer, how many times? I said that prayer accepting Jesus into my heart a thousand times. You know, I, 
I, yeah. I feel like tribe. Yeah. And remember, I mean, we had a different, we had a different, um, Job's when it says at a different angle on hell, but there, there's still a hell of sorts. And it's just like, remember uh, for me, and I think for a lot of people, when you think you're just like going, oh, I'm doing it right. I'm praying right. No, I think I'm praying wrong. I'm the only one that's praying wrong. I'm Everyone the only else one that's is praying, praying wrong. wrong. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I, it's, it's still astounding to me that every child doesn't come away with a disorder with the, you know, yeah. Your heart, but it's got to be sincere. What's sincere? I know. <laughs> You've got to believe. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no thing that happens to you. you. You don't become a pillar of smoke or, you know, yeah. electrify. There's no certificate that gets mailed to you, you know, you don't it's, look different. It's there's a grandiose proof. Yeah. <laughs> It's a grandiose scheme to keep everyone donating and in the, in the populace. Yeah. 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 It's about a, it's like, guess what's going to happen when your dad gets home. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's God. Except for it's God. <laughs> it's coming in. It's coming in. Yeah. How he is with that hand. So what was it? What uh, Smash cut. What was it like? When you met your husband, how, um, he wasn't he wasn't uh, in an evangelical. Version. No, yeah. no. So I definitely had, you know, it took me a long time to really get my head completely not and not even that it's completely free. Um, I still worry. That's that was- I thank you for saying that because that's always the case. I don't think we ever get off of it. It's just how yeah. to navigate it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like if you can lessen it from a big clanging to a nice soft little hum just yeah. there in the background. Um, I worried about marrying somebody that was not a Christian and what if, I, you know, the whole thing caused me great anxiety um, because it was a permanent decision. Yeah. Um, so it felt like solidifying a sinful lifestyle or a... Um, so I became very like, and I couldn't even name that that's why, where the anxiety was coming from. And mm-hmm. when I got married, it did lessen. Um, mm-hmm. Once, you know, it was like, it's done. It, it didn't have the energy of, am I doing this bad thing? Am I, oh, well, like, and then you weren't living in sin anymore. So there's that. Oh yeah. And then that's true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Good to go. Married in your eyes. Because of these guys. Oh, that's funny. The um, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you. So, so when, uh, just um, so when you wrote "Sin Bravely," did you write that before you were married or after you were married? After I was married. Oh, okay. So, so you had a, uh, you had a good, yeah, time yeah. away from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much more time. This very different writing this book because it was right when I was in it. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't past tense. It was definitely a present tense thing. And and so. Which one do you feel like um, took more of uh, took took more heartache and guts to huh. hammer out? It's a good point. Um, definitely took longer, and the, the second book is is longer itself and is more involved in some ways. But I think doing the first one directly talking about the big beast. Um, uh, I was, um, I'm proud of my younger self. <laughs> yeah. And both books, you know, both books kind of out, you do, and, that, and that's, I guess that's why I'm uh, attracted to your writing. Cause I felt like when I was doing Jesus jerk, that really outed me to the world that I was an ex Jehovah's witness, which I used to be totally ashamed of I used uh, to yeah, bottle yeah, it yeah. up with shame. Cause I didn't, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, and then there's a letting go of it and you've let go yeah. of, you know, this, and you let go twice uh, you let go again in this in this book where yeah you, right, you have you have audiences squirming and you're like all right this is the what we gotta do <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 and i'm kind of letting go in some way of my not having kids you know that mm-hmm. joanna is a kid of a sense you know she's yeah. the 
bundling, you know, what it's the bundle of joy, uh, you know, that you come wrapped, you know, bring home from the hospital. Um, it's a different sort of things. Yeah. Um, uh, but it is still that in a way. And she doesn't poop on you. And she doesn't poop on me. Yes, it's never <laughs> happened. Never happened. Never happened. Not once. <laughs> the um, Do you still do sit and spin? How's that going to? We're going to start up again. It, COVID, everything shut down. Right. So I'm uh, this year, I'm going to get it back up and going again. Cool. Yeah. And, and I love that you, you reminded me of that part in your book where it's just like you were even envious of the moth. Oh, the fucking moth. <laughs> Everyone loves the moth. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid competition. You know, I'm tired <laughs> of the moth. It's like Ugh. moth and TED Talks. Um, it, you know, but anyway, if they hear this, please, please book me. But yeah, me too. Me too. I love, I love, <laughs> but at the I same do love time. TED Talks. I don't like yeah. the, moth, the moth is competition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Have you done, you did a TED Talk? No. Yeah. No, no, uh, no. I would yeah. love to, that's one thing I would love to do one day. I'd love to do a TED talk on envy. You know? Ooh, that would be good. You yeah. gotta pitch that. I would love to. It's one of yeah. on my wish list. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. You're 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 making me uh add things to my wish list. <laughs> and you know what's good about wish list is it continue we, we get we have these other goals. We get envious of other people that have TED yes, Talks. Yes. And we can take that envy and go, wait a second. What do I yeah. need to do to be that? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Huh. Have you ever thought about I it really doing it? Oh, go ahead. I really want to be Krista Tippett. Who's, who's, who hosts? She hosts On Being, the podcast. It's a spiritual podcast. Oh, is so it I good? I directly want to be her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to... <laughs> I just want to take everything in her life and just be like, <laughs> I'm going to usurp it. <laughs> yeah. I, I get a kick out of Megan Dom's podcast, Unspeakable. Um, oh, yes. I like that. I do yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I love the, I love the, I love the people that go to the places that where we don't normally talk about. In yeah. Life. Yeah. Yeah. But we all, but we all have, we're all nutters. We're all human nutters. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Maggie. Thank you, Tony. This was great talking to you.
Maggie Rowe on Drinks with Tony. Check out her new book, Easy Street, A Story of Redemption from Myself. Next week on the show, we have Michael Mechanic. He's the author of Jackpot. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.